and uh, so we'll cover uh, some kind of common ground tonight. Um, but we, Paul is beginning to get into the meat of his letter, um, and the main issue he's having with the church at Corinth is their divisions. And so he says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So I want to stop there just for a second. Um, if you look all the way back um, to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, um, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so... We have learned about the spiritual man, which would be those who know Christ, and then the natural man. The natural man is one who doesn't know Christ at all. He doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, and he can't really receive the things of the Spirit. And everyone here, we're all, uh, uh, have had the experience of talking to uh, someone who really is ingrained in the world without God, and you try to talk to them about spiritual things, and it's foolishness to them it's to the to the jews it was fool uh to the jews it was a stumbling block and to the greeks it was foolishness well in the middle of the natural man and the spiritual man is what we see the carnal man uh and when he calls them babes in christ in verse one is he talking to believers or non-believers Believers, They're in Christ. The problem is there's no spiritual growth. And with no spiritual growth, um, they are Christians who have the character traits of the world. They don't really look any different than the world. And this is where it's difficult for us to, to kind of play the judge in these manners. Uh, although I think it's not too difficult to recognize someone who is carnal, someone who is living life apart from God. And uh, that doesn't mean we judge their salvation, but we don't really have to judge their salvation or no salvation. We can guide them towards following the ways of God, whether they're babes in Christ or not Christians at all. So... Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church as carnal, as babes in Christ. And here's what he means by it. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal? And behaving like mere men. So that's the definition of a carnal babe in Christ. Is someone who should know better. Uh, but they simply live like the world. Romans 12.2 says be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you are a consistent person that, that goes into church. Uh, there will be spiritual growth. And that's the reason why. You know, as long as 
you know, the Lord allows us, um, if, if God allows me to be a pastor for a length of time longer, there'll always be a Sunday night and a Wednesday night Bible study. And because the more opportunities, and, and to be blunt, um, there are a number of members of this church that are not taking advantage of what God has in, for them. Um, for years, you know, back in the days when Don was teaching our junior high, high school, Sunday school class, and, and we've all experienced the teaching of Larry in Sunday school class, you might as well sign up for a, a seminary or Bible class when you're listening to Larry. It's just tremendous. And then we have the expository preaching of Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and Wednesday nights. If you take advantage of those, you are really gaining a lot. And to add to that, we use Awana as a tool that is really strong in the Word. It is really strong in hiding God's Word in the hearts of these uh, kids. And uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm not trying to pat anybody in the back or, or praise man, but we've, our junior high and high school, we, we've been, since Ben left, We've, we've had a little trouble kind of getting it where we wanted it. We've tried different things, had it at different times. But uh, Brian and Willie are working it together with junior high school together. It's tremendous. And they've got four or five of, of uh, just kids who have gone through Awana, JW and his sister and Leah and Josh. And, and it's been, uh, what a blessing. So... That's what we're supposed to do. Now, if you take advantage of these opportunities, there should be a visible spiritual growth. You should be able to see a transformation. Uh, but again, we've been here a long time, and there are some that we've known for a long time that you don't see a lot of visible spiritual growth. And they might be in church two or three times a year. You know, come to the special events, come to sunrise service and things like that. Um, and these are what Paul is talking about. You are he's not talking about their salvation. We'll see that throughout this chapter. But there is no spiritual growth. And he says to them, uh, verse 4, For when one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And I'm going to make a statement, and it's absolutely biblically true. I don't think anybody here would be upset about it. But um, denominations are carnal. They are man-made. And while, you know, we were raised, you know, early Christian church, I thank God for the Baptist church. I went to a Baptist college. And, and when we're out visiting, we look for a good, solid Baptist churches. Uh, but we go to churches that preach the word. And it doesn't have to have the word Baptist on it to preach the word. And man has really, you know, we were talking to, there's a couple ladies that are living with um, Linda's daughter. And they talk about what they didn't like about church and, and what they don't. And one of the things they mentioned, they said, well, we don't even know what kind of Bible to get. They're all kind of, which translation do we get? And, and, you got the, and, and it's, God is not the author of confusion. 
Denominations confuse. They just cause confusion. And it's the same thing. I am Apollos. I am a Paul. I am a Methodist. I am a Baptist. We are Christians. We are Christians, followers of God. Um, so we're going to look at this, some verses on this word carnal. And look at Romans 7. Just go back a couple of chapters. Romans is the book right before Corinthians. And again, we, we, we let the Bible define these words for us. Um, in verse 14 of Romans 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So Paul describes himself as carnal. Now, the, the, the real root of the word carnal is meat, flesh. Uh, if you are uh, a carnivorous or a carnivore, you eat flesh. Uh, we had ribs for my birthday dinner today, and I love being a carnivore. Just It's, it's a joy in my life. Um, but there are people who don't eat meat. Well, for a carnal Christian, it is the idea of succumbing to the flesh. That's where that word carnal comes from, and not following the works of the Spirit. Now, we know that our nature is sinful. And we know that we tend, without the work of God and the Holy Spirit, to act opposite of love, joy, and peace, and obedience. Paul says this. Look what he says in verse 15 of Romans 7. For what I am doing, I don't understand. What I will to do, I don't practice. What I hate to do, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree the law that it is good. And it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So Paul says he has a, a penchant for the, the sin within him to work opposite of the spirit. But notice what he says. He agrees that the spirit is good. The law is good. Thou shalt not steal. That's good. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's good. Thou shalt not lie. That's good. Thou shalt not covet. Those are all good. Although, he still enters into those activities at times when he's weak in the flesh. And he says in verse 18, I know that in me, that is my flesh, carnal, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good I want to do, I do not. But the evil I, not, I will not to do, that I practice. So if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So Paul, um, Pastor Rick met with a couple, and you can pray for this. He has a new couple in his church, and, and they're coming from a, a, a church, and they asked him to listen to the pastor's sermon from their other church and the pastor preached a sermon on if you're a, truly a Christian you will never sin and and they use some of these verses and he takes chapter 7 in Romans and says oh this is all before Paul was a Christian but it's obviously not as he speaks it just doesn't make any sense that way um, so we as Christians are going to battle with the spirit and the flesh the flesh being carnal. If you look down in verse 24 of this Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? How are we supposed to not be carnal 
And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind, I serve the law of God. And with the flesh, the law of sin. And it's those things we usually, when you are acting carnal, is usually based on emotions. All right, whether it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or pride of life. And when you are Focus on God's word and obeying it like we talked this morning and serving God with your mind. And this is why emotional Christianity, while there's emotions in Christianity, but when you live on emotions, you don't want to be that roller coaster. It's, it's, you want to serve God with the law of your mind. Um, and that's how Paul says, I defeat this law of sin. So that's what carnality is. In Corinthians, as we'll go back to verse 3, they had gotten so far away from the things of the spirit they didn't look much different than the world and you see that in some Christians you really do and it's hard to know whether they're really Christians or not Christians and that's a, something we can't ever uh, see from the outside uh, Romans 5 or Romans 8 5 says this those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity or a, a, a wall against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is not pleasing to God to live in carnality to live in opposite of what he says so romans 8 that's romans 8 5 through 8 um, again describes the difference walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh as a christian you're never again going to be natural man you're never again going to be lost but if we're not staying strong in the word we certainly can fall into uh and and carol's mentioned this before uh, that that when you're away from church for even a week or two it, it your mind is different you 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 need it we really need it and this is one of the reasons why it, i don't know what don and larry remember this or some of you might remember there's there was a time when it seemed like every church had a wednesday night service it was just the norm um and it was a great way to stay on point in the week. Sunday, you would come out pretty pretty uh, uh, focused on God. And by Wednesday, life was beating you down. And it was good to go in and just get that encouragement and refreshing. And, and uh, uh, I, I enjoy Wednesdays very much here. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is a great definition of spiritual warfare spiritual warfare takes place in your mind the heart is deceitful wicked above all things who can know it all right and so 
Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 10 says, We are ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So that says our warfare and weapons are not carnal. They are knowledge. Scriptures and knowledge. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The verses we read today. In fact, in the armor of God, there is one weapon. And that is what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Satan tempted Jesus three times, he was victorious by constantly throwing back scriptures. Eve believed and was deceived, didn't trust what God said. Jesus, thus saith the word, thus saith the word, thus saith the word. That's the same for us. That's our, our stronghold. Um, so let's go to verse number five. He's going to expound a little more on their carnality. Remember, their carnal activity is following man, dividing by people. Not they, and again, they, if they got any further, they would have had the Pauline church and the Peter church. And, uh, and, but Paul stops them. He says in verse 5, Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And so we get the word minister there, and people would, would label me a minister or say I'm in full time ministry. And the word minister is simply a, a word that means administration. So if you're in a part of a school, you have the teachers, the students, and then you have the administration and the administration organizes and sets the rules so when we administer it's basically a way of saying that we give out the word of god larry mentioned that in sunday school today and we throw out those seeds and we administer the truth uh, to anybody we come across and what happens with the truth is between god and that person he says, so Paul and Apollos, they're not to be worshipped. They were just simply the administration tools used. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Man, I love that verse. It explains it so clearly, the process of a person coming to Christ. So let's take the Apostle Paul for a second. He came to Christ when God came to him on the road and God said to Paul it, it is easy for you to kick against the goads so what is a goad to goad somebody to, is to influence them and so old King James says you kick against the pricks and, and that is a tool used that has little spiky things on the end sorry to get so technical and you use it to move a, a stubborn mule. You'll whack him on the behind and it gets going. And so if you have a stubborn horse or a stubborn donkey like the horse in Susie's trailer this morning, it'll start kicking. Karen knows more about this than I do. But a horse will start kicking if they're stubborn. And Paul was kicking against the goad. Well, when was he goaded? It most likely started with Stephen 
and Stephen's testimony when Paul was there uh, conforming to his death. And that had an influence on it. And so a lot of what we do in Sunday mornings, a lot of what we do in Awana with our uh, time with Larry, we had a visitor with prayer meeting on Saturday and Larry was asking for prayer for the man who's taking care of his daughter. And as Larry speaks to these um, people, he, he's planting seeds and watering. And, and when we are working with kids, in Brian's case, you know, we, we planted some seeds into Brian when he was in third and fourth grade. And, and when he got away, some other people invited him in, good Christian people, and they did some watering. And eventually, those seeds took root in Brian's life, and he's transformed, and he's completely changed. But who gives the increase? God does. We plant and we water. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Verse 7. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to to his labor. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, of him who are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God deserves all the glory, all the credit. It's really ridiculous if you really think about it. For... Um, any preacher to take any credit for a sermon. It's not written by any man. If you're doing it correctly, and if it is written by man, it's probably not a very good sermon. Might be a good, uh, you know, TED talk, but it's not a good sermon. And so it would be like if, you know, Brian wrote a poem and asked me to read it, but because he was too nervous to speak publicly. And I read the poem, and then everybody applauded, and they said, Oh, Pastor John, that was the most beautiful poem. That was beautifully written. You did such a great job, Pastor. And I never tell anybody Brian wrote it. That's actually against the law. Right? Kids get in trouble all the time in school for copy and pasting stuff. What's the word for it? Plagiarism. Plagiarism. To take credit for a chapter in the scripture that God wrote, that's the ultimate plagiarism. And so we are nothing but what a privilege to be used by God to be able to bring this. And that's what he, has, that's what he set up. The feet of those who share the gospel. Why? Because look at verse 9. I like this verse a lot too. We are God's fellow workers. Not a good verse. He doesn't need us. But what a privilege it is to be working with him. And if you have that mentality, it's great. For we are God's field. You are God's building. So what kind of building does God say you are? It's a temple, isn't it? It's a temple of the Holy Ghost. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Bible says very clearly, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. 
The Bible says God takes us out of the miry clay and sets our feet on the solid rock. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. If, you know, we should have prayed for the hurricane victims today, but I think we've been praying for them. And some of the videos you see were quite astounding. Some of them, when the waters came in, they took some houses, some of the smaller houses, right off the foundation. And the houses were floating across the street and down the road. But guess what was left there? The foundation. Uh, Liz and I uh, lived through a, t a hurricane and we were living in Mississippi and a couple tornadoes came through and, and buildings were just demolished and yet the foundations were always there. And Christ is that foundation. He is the part that is immovable, unchangeable, and, and does not fade away. And that's why God says, build this life on the foundation of Christ. Well, how do we do that? We become Christians. We become saved. And if you have accepted Christ, which I'm confident you have, then your life is already built on a strong foundation. Like we talked about this morning, you may suffer shipwreck and you may uh, drift away from God and become very carnal. But the foundation is always going to be there. So he mentioned a little bit about um, rewards here. And we're going to talk about this in these next few verses. I will tell you that, that I have in my mind how these verses look. But I don't completely know how it all looks at the end. Do you know what I mean? When we're standing before God at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I know some, some basic facts of it. But I will tell you that when I read these verses, it's very clear in my mind what it looks like to me. But it's probably not close to what it's actually going to look like. So let's read what we know. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Now those precious stones are the stones like the cornerstone they would use to build the temple. These are actually the same materials they used to build the actual temple in uh, Solomon's time. So when you build on the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So in this verse, we're, we're talking about building on our Christian faith. Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control. As you're building on this faith, what you're doing for God is going to come under God's eye. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether good or bad. And so Hebrews 2 says we shouldn't neglect such a great salvation. Once you are saved, there is a life built on that salvation, a life built on that foundation. And according to this verse, and look at it very carefully because verse 13, you have to understand it to, to move forward. 
Um, we have gold, silver, and precious stone work, and you have wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says those works will be tried by fire. That's not actual fire, but in, in the idea of fire. So what happens to wood, hay, and stubble when it's, when it's in fire? It burns. And what happens to gold and silver and precious stones? It, it lasts. In fact, the gold and silver get better. It, it burns the dross off. And so what's really important about this verse is each one's work will be revealed of what sort it is. And the sort of work, we can kind of get this. In Matthew 6, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he talks to them about getting their money and popularity and their fame. And he says, you do well and you receive your reward. And so it's actually wood, hay, and stubble work. They traded the obedience of God for the praise of man. And so God says, well, you got your rewards on earth. Is that what you wanted, a big mansion? You wanted the, the fancy uh, robes? You got it. That's your reward because there's nothing waiting for you in heaven. In fact, you're whitewashed walls who don't even have a foundation. So when he talks about what sort it is, uh, it moves towards your motivation, why we do what we do. Um, and... I read a, a good comment from somebody. It reminded me of, of an event here. And he was talking about that he had done things in the ministry that were a flop. That they just had big plans. But he said, I knew that my motivation for doing these things was right. And it reminded me years ago... Um, and I don't. I still don't know whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. I do know that it was not a successful thing. <laughs> but uh, at the time, uh, Pastor Joe and some people in Planada, they were taking the Jesus film in Spanish and going to some of the um, uh, migrant camps around town and showing the movie on this big outdoor screen. And they, people were just getting saved like weekly at, at these showings of the film. And so we were able to get the um, gym at the elementary school, whatever way that is. And we cooked spaghetti, planned for a couple hundred people maybe, I don't know, we cooked a bunch of spaghetti, remember that? And we were ready, and we had the film, and it was free, we promoted it, and one person... <laughs> came and they didn't they ate spaghetti and left they didn't stay for the movie we had a ton of spaghetti left everybody took it home and it seemed like it was an absolute bomb and failure but i don't know what sort of work it was god may deem that our motivation was pure to reach our community for christ and at the time it was before francisco got here and we just didn't know how before nineveh how are we going to reach the spanish-speaking community and, and um, so see what I mean it, it's not what it's not well God man that was a failure that was a bomb that was a wood work I don't know what it was if our motivation we're doing it was because well we're gonna we can do better than Planada it's nothing you see what I mean so it's that selfish what work are you doing it only what you do for Christ will last well he says verse 14 if anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned, 
he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So this has nothing to do with your salvation. You will never be judged by God for your sins. Again, that verse I read, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, everyone will receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Was it a good, solid, unselfish work for Christ, or were you just trying to build a name for yourself, raise money for yourself, or, or get more likes on Facebook, or whatever it might be? We can't judge those motivations. Only God can. I, I, sometimes I don't know why I'm doing things in certain areas. So um, these rewards, uh, in Second Timothy 4, when Paul says that his time of departure is at hand, he says, and there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me and to all those who love is appearing. So there are, there are mentions of crowns throughout the Bible. There's also a verse in Revelation in which saints lay the crowns at the feet of Christ. And many have taken those to be, we stand before God, receive a reward for the works that we may have done for him and the motivation we had. And then we lay them at the feet of Christ who gets all the glory and the credit for it. I love that picture. I don't know if that's how it's going to be. But I, it, it's, it's stuck in my head. And the more I read, the more I study, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I do know the Bible talks about rewards. And it talks about a loss of those rewards. And I know that I desire for God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I will tell you, I don't work for rewards. That makes sense? We work out of love for Christ. And if you do that, the end times work themselves out. They really do. And so I don't exactly know how it looks. Go ahead, Don. John, uh, I was part of that one. What's that? I was part of that one spaghetti. Oh, yeah. But we, we judge the results of that wrong. We have one show up. We do not know what happened to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely true, Don. That's such a good point. I was talking with uh, uh, Carrie Brown. Her son um, asked her to Christ into his life at their house the other night, and I was talking to to her, and she read the verse that you were saying, and so I saw him on Thursday, and he says, Pastor John, the angels are eating cake. And I said, what? He says, yeah, they're having cake. My mom says they're having a party for me in heaven. And all parties have cake. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, Don, you're exactly right. Which is why it, you're gonna, you can really mess with your head if you try to figure this all out in, in a, you know, kind of a, a mental manner and have it all eggs in a row. Uh, yes? You know, I, I was talking to Pastor Garrett, and they just started Awana, brand new. They've never, ever had, you know, one of the reasons why he went to this church was to start Awana, get going. And they were doing it, but they had let it kind of fall. 
And he had, I said, well, how did it go? Oh, yeah, we had uh, 35 kids the first night. And I was thinking, why? We just can't. The, the numbers never grow, you know. And I remember going and visiting Dave and Karen when they were in Chowchilla, and they had a bunch of kids. And and it's like, is it me? Am I just like a failure? Or is it? But I tell you, over the years, Brian is an example. The lives that are changed through Awana and seeing those kids that are in your group now that went through Awana, we're making a real impact on, on these kids. Um, but boy, we get tempted to look at numbers, don't we? And that's why he says, of what sort it is. Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, oh, I love the input. Thank you so much. Uh, Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which are not seen, vainly puffed up by fleshly mind. So we see that Colossians described being cheated of your reward by a fleshly or carnal mind, doing it to be puffed up and doing it for self. And I really think that's the bottom line of why you do things. Are you doing it to honor Christ, to win the lost? Are you doing it to grow your church, to build a name for yourself? Those kind of things. And I think that's obvious to all of us here. Um, all right, let's close with a verse, uh, the last few verses. Uh, verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God? So this building you're building should be honorable to God, that the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? It's a question, isn't it? Your body I will tell you, you know, we don't have the wooden idols as much as they did back in the Bible time for people who are bowing down to stone and wood. But I tell you, people have completely received themselves and they are bowing down to themselves and they are building a shrine to themselves. We are the most self-centered, selfish world. I, I can't even... It's, it's incredible. Uh, this whole thing of, of being taught and being encouraged to you know, follow every uh, sexual drive and every personal feeling and let your heart guide you. Your heart, what does the Bible say about the heart? And yet we are teaching our kids in the world that your heart is your God. And whose temple are you? Are you a temple of God? Or if not, then who rules the temple? It's either God or who? Yourself or Satan. Trying to fool you into thinking you know more. And so that's the temple. That's the building you're building. Let no one deceive himself. Verse 18. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Man, are we... Are we filled? And, and they're all over the internet, aren't they? Everybody knows everything about everything. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And we've heard the speeches from politicians. We've heard the sermons from false teachers.
<coughs> and the futility of what they're teaching. And it, it, it can be frustrating. But the comforting thing is God knows it. Um, so these next closing verses, um, I, I did some studying and some meditating on them. And I'm not sure I I'm not sure I've got these verses completely down. Um, so it says, "Therefore, let no one boast in men." So we'll take these a little bit one at a time. That's a pretty simple instruction from Paul, isn't it? Do not boast in men. I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Apollos. Boast in Christ. He's the one you serve. And if men serve God selfishly, it's wood, hay, and stubble. If they're building a name for themselves, it's wood, hay, and stubble. Don't boast in men. And even though that's pretty clear, we have not learned that lesson across the country. It's still men in ministries. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas is Peter, or the world or life or death or things present, are things to come, all are yours. And that's the, 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 that, that's quite a statement. And there's a lot in it. And I dug into this verse and, and I came out of it with, it's, it, it's bigger than what I think it is. It's bigger than what I see. Um, but I, I will share this with you that, that, one of the, the, the better commentaries I read on this particular verse is that um, everything points to God. Everything points to Christ. So while Paul and Apollos are just mere men, they're still bringing the words of life. When you see death, it reminds you of God. When life reminds you, things present, things to come, it reminds me of the list of things that cannot separate you from God, neither height nor depth nor life. Nor, um, so anybody that has a, a comment on that verse, I welcome it. Um, but he, he's basically saying you're focusing on men, but every good and every perfect gift comes from God. This is all, everything is God. Don't get so pigeonholed to I am of this person and I am of this person we can learn from a lot of different uh, speakers and a lot of different denominations have a lot of good things as long as they're sticking to the word and you are Christ's and Christ is God's isn't that a great verse you are Christ everything all of this life points to God be careful that we don't get so narrow minded that we focus on self and and there was I was talking to a pastor this week and and they are um, they and this happens a lot of churches that they have their denominational bylaws and they have the Bible and they contradict and the church is forced by the bylaws to follow the bylaws even though they contradict the scriptures. And they have locked themselves in. And that's what I see. Don't look at everything. It points to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. And, and Lord, uh, this is a good, wonderful, mature group tonight. And, and Lord, uh, 
we still have moments of carnality, moments of the flesh. And oh Lord, we just pray, God, that, that whatever we're doing in, in these ministries here at the Grand, in our own home, in our own personal lives, in our own personal work on, on social media, that our motivation is pure, that it is to, number one, reach the lost with the gospel. Let that be our our continued motivation as we press towards the mark in Jesus' name.